title of the message this morning is, as we just prayed, God is with us. God is with us. God is with me. God is with you. And Romans 8.31 says this scripture that fires me up a little bit. It says that if God is for you, who can stand against you? If God is for you, if the creator of the universe is for you, who can stand against you? Not that you get whatever you want. Not that it's like a uh, vending machine where you put your prayer in and then you get whatever you want out. But if God is for you, who can stand against you? If, not that you get whatever you want, but on the thing of if God has a plan for your life, that if God wants transformation to happen within you as you be conformed to Christ's likeness instead of conformed to the way of the world, if God wants you to heal the sick, to bring sight to the spiritually blind, to bring freedom to those who are oppressed. If God is for you in those ways, who can stand against you? And that should fire us up a little bit because if that God is with us, if the God of the universe, if the God that created all that we see, created the sun, the stars in the sky, created the earth, if He's the giver and sustainer of life, the alpha and the omega, and yet He says that He is with us, then it's not some feel-good concept that it needs to kind of start shaping the way that we do life. Because if God is with you, then your life mission cannot just be survive and be comfortable. If God, if God is with you, then your social objective cannot just be fit in and don't ruffle many feathers. If God is with you, your life and your destiny is one of influence whether that's over one person, whether it's over a million people, whether it's to leave a legacy that affects the generations to come, if God is with you. And we're gonna look at what it means when God promises us that He's with us. This is the revelation that I want us to get today. What does your life look like when God is with you? Not as a concept. A concept sits on the surface of your life and doesn't disrupt anything, but the glory of God, the weight of this will disrupt your whole life if God is really with you. And we're going to look at the account of Gideon in the Bible. It comes from a book called Judges. If you haven't read Judges, it's an exciting book. Gideon spans six, uh, chapters 6, 7 and 8. And Judges is all around these heroic figures in the Bible. It's where you find people like Samson who took the jawbone of a donkey and slayed a thousand Philistines. It's where you find people like Deborah, who's described as the fiery woman, because in a time where women weren't allowed to speak direction culturally, she was anointed by the Holy Spirit to do just that and brought freedom to her nation. That all these heroic figures in Judges were there because the nation need freeing. Something bad happened in the nation. And Israel was in a cycle. If you look through the Old Testament, Israel's in this consistent cycle. It's like five steps that happen. They get into this nice place of ease where everyone likes to be. This is where it's cool, it's cruisy, life's good. But then when life's in ease, people start to think, oh, maybe I don't need God. And so they start to turn to other things and their affections of their heart turn to other things. And before you know it, they're in a place of trouble. Israel went through this cycle. They went from ease, then they turned away from God because we didn't need Him. And then they always found themselves in a place of captivity. It was to Egypt, which we know about. And in this case with Gideon, it was to the Midianites. And the Midianites had them captive. And then when things get bad enough, Israel cried out to God, oh wait, we do need God. God, please come help us. Please come save us. And God would anoint a person one of these people, like your Samson or your Deborah, or in this case, Gideon, and he would come and bring freedom to the nation and then they'd go back into a nice time of ease. <laughs> and then the cycle would repeat itself. And 
I find that this cycle, although it was for a nation, it has this cultural layering to our time now in the 21st century. Because as individuals, I see people going in the same cycles right now. They go through a time of ease, maybe I don't need God. In our Western society, we have everything that we need. And so, so often we don't rely on God because I've got everything I need. I know where my next meal's coming from. I know there's a roof over my head. And we can get in such a place of ease that we stop depending on God and people's lives can go around in the same cycle as Israel did. We stop depending on God. And they get to a place where they're not satisfied with their life. They're in, may not be physical trouble or trouble for their life, but they're in a place where they're like, this is not a satisfying life. I did, this is not what I wanted for myself. God, will you help me? And they cry out for God. And God is calling His church, His people, to be like those heroic figures of old that bring a direction and a freedom to the people's life around them, that walk in the miraculous, to see people whose lives are in this cycle break that cycle and walk in the fullness that God has for them. Because this cycle occurs not because God doesn't love us, that He just releases us to, um, not just He doesn't love us and intervene, but like with the Israel, there's a verse in Romans 1 that says, God gives people over to the desires of their heart. That it's not that God just didn't intervene, but He often gives people over, oh, that's what you want? Well, I'm not gonna fight for your affections of your heart. I'm not gonna make you love me. And so he gives people over to the desires of their heart. And in our 21st century living, there's this catchphrase that said, just follow your heart. That's what you need, right? Just follow your heart. If you follow your heart, then all will be well. As if our heart is this moral compass on the inside of us. And if you just look inside and find your true self, then everything's gonna be good. But the Bible has a different opinion on the human heart. It says the human heart is deceptive above all things. That your human heart is actually treacherous. That you can't just look in and follow the direction of your heart. That's gonna lead you astray as we see with Israel and as we see with many individuals and families and society's decisions that they get led astray by the desires of their heart and get to a place where they need God to intervene in their world again. And that's what we're called to do as the church, to show people a better way than just following your heart. There is a greater truth for them to follow. We are called to be people like that. The same God that was with Samson, the same God that was with Deborah, the same God that was with Gideon, does this miraculous thing through Gideon, is the same God that's with you. He, he's, he's with you. It's not some airy fairy, oh, he's up there and I'm down there. No, God is with you. That's what Christmas means. And in this case, when we look at Gideon, Here's the 30-second snapshot of what the whole uh, story looks like. Israel are enslaved to the Midianites. And uh, Israel, they produce their crops. Midianites come along and steal them. The Israel raise up their cattle. Midianites come and steal the cattle and they steal their homes. So much to the point where it says that Israel are hiding in caves. They have nothing. They're impoverished. They're in slavery. They're hiding in caves to try and stay alive. And so they cry out to God, God, will you save us? And God, I love this because even when Israel have done everything wrong by God, our God is a faithful God. Even if you've done everything wrong by Him, He's only ever one prayer away from being your salvation. And salvation for Israel came in the form of a man called Gideon. Gideon was not, wouldn't have been my first pick. He was a farmer. He was very reluctant. And honestly, he's a bit of a whinger. When you look through the, the Bible verses that we'll go through, he whinged about everything. But over a bit of a discourse and a to and fro with God, he decides to do it. God, I'm in, I will help you. And so he gathers his army, 32,000 soldiers, 
against uh, about 20-ish thousands of the Midianites and the Malachites and the uh, Kedonites all combined. And then he goes off to war because God says he's going to give him a victory. But on the way, God shrinks his army from 32,000 to 300. (laughs) By a factor of 1,000, he cuts his army. So now we have 300 versus tens of thousands of enemy soldiers. And we'll see why that happens. And then to bring about the victory, one night when it was dark and the enemy and the bad guys were in the valley, God lined all the good guys up on the hills around them with flames, torches and trumpets. And then in one moment, they waved their torches and they blew their trumpets and the bad guys woke up. They got confused, looking like they're surrounded by a giant army, thought the enemy was amongst them and started fighting themselves and they wiped themselves out. God brought about a victory for Gideon and Israel without them even raising a sword. And I wanna wanna show you why this has such a dramatic impact on who we are and what happens when God is with us. I see this happening in individuals' lives right now as well. You may not be in Israel, we're building uh, altars to Baal in this time. That's why God had kind of left them. He left them to their own desires. And you might not be building altars to Baal in your own life, but when in times of ease and when times we're not leaning on God, the affections of our heart, the direction of our heart starts to change from God to other things we find important in our lives, like our work or our relationships or, or money or entertainment. And, and you might not be hiding out in caves, you know, enslaved to the Midianites, but chains get put on people when they must go to entertainment for relaxing instead of trying, finding true peace in God. The same situations that happen to Israel physically can happen to us spiritually and we need the same deliverance of God in our lives to break the cycle. And when we fall into this cycle, and this is the part why I find this so important to have this revelation, is that when we fall into this cycle, it reduces the power, it reduces the intimacy, and it reduces the potential of the promise that God is with you. Judges 6, this is where we start our story, Judges 6 verse 11 to 12 says this, the angel of the Lord came and he sat under the oak that was in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash. Joash's son Gideon was threshing wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, the Lord is with you, valiant warrior. And in this moment, I can imagine Gideon kind of looking around behind him, like, where? Valiant warrior, why are you calling me valiant warrior? The, the Hebrew word when the angel uses this word, valiant warrior, is gibor hail. And this is the same word that he uses to describe David's mighty men. If you've read any of the stories about David's mighty men, one just saw like a snow leopard in a pit and went down and killed it with its bare hands. One killed uh, over thousands of people with one, as in more people than are in this room, we wouldn't have a chance against this guy. They were animals. And God comes into this farmer and says, you're that kind of person. You are a valiant warrior. And Gideon looks around, no, I'm not. You got the wrong guy. I'm here threshing wheat. I am a farmer. That's who I am. But the Bible also says that it is man that looks on the exterior, but God looks at the heart. So when God looks at you, He doesn't just see who you are. He doesn't just see who you are right now or what you do. God sees who you could be when you walk with Him. God sees the potential that He put in you and how that can come to fruition and it only comes to fruition when we are people who go with God. And God does this all throughout the Bible. He calls Abram and says, Abram, I'm changing your name to 
Abraham, for you will be a father of many nations. Abraham didn't have any kids yet, but he was already renamed. The same with Jesus. Jesus comes up to Peter. Peter, you shall be known as Cephas, the rock on which I will build my church. Church didn't even exist yet, yet Jesus called it because when Peter walks with him, that's who he becomes. And so the angel of the Lord says, valiant warrior. Gideon, you'll be a valiant warrior. Not that you are yet, but with me, between where you are and what you need to do, the delivery of your people, I will fill the gap and you will become a valiant warrior. And this should stir us up a little bit because if God can choose a farmer to deliver a nation from slavery, what can He do with you? It's the same God. God has put dreams and passions and purposes inside of every person in this room and every person watching online. And when you walk with Him, you do something that transcends your natural abilities by so much that you're known by a different name. You're known by something else. There is greatness in every person in this room. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are, there is greatness when you walk with God. Judges 6, this is Gideon's response, 13 to 16. Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, so he's doubting, why has all this happened? And where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about? They said, Hasn't the Lord brought us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to Midian. Great question. He's, what Gideon's saying there is like, if you're with us, why are we going through such hardship? Like if, if God of the universe is really with us, why are we suffering? I've seen what it was like back in the past when God brought Israel out of Egypt and He put all the plagues on the people and He split the Red Sea, He did miracles. So if you're really with us, do a miracle, God. Gideon's coming back to him. He starts to whinge about it. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength that you have and deliver Israel from the grasp of Midian. I am sending you. He said to him, please, Lord, how can I deliver Israel? Look, my family is the weakest in Manasseh and I'm the youngest in my father's family. Keeps making excuses. But then the Lord says this, I will be with you, the Lord said to him. You will strike down Midian as if it were one man. And this is such an interesting interaction. Gideon has this moment where he gets this opportunity to be more than just the farmer. He gets to be the saviour of his people. He does not say, well, thanks, that sounds great, inspiring, I'm in. He starts to give all the reasons why he can't do it. He starts to tell God, well, God, if you're really with me, why would I be going through such hardship? Like, I don't think you're really with me. If you're really with me, where are the miracles that followed our people back in with them in Egypt's time? And Gideon makes the mistake that I see so many 21st century Christians making. We judge the presence of God by our perceived provision from God. We judge that God is with us by what God is giving us. That if God is with me, then God should meet my wants and needs that I'm facing. And this is a really dangerous concept. If you judge whether God is with you by how He's currently providing for you, then we look through the, the whole Bible and we see Paul in prison where he's stripped of everything he has. His friends aren't even coming to visit him. He has nothing. Is the presence of God, has he left Paul? No. What about martyrs in the Bible? They said The Bible says that there is a crown for martyrs in heaven. There's something special for them. They lose everything, even losing their life. If you apply that theology, then the presence of God isn't with them. And we know that not to be the case. 
We cannot judge whether God is with us by how well he's meeting our needs, by our perceived provision. You don't see everything God is doing in our lives and around our lives. We can't see that. So you cannot judge whether God is with you. The presence of God does not depend on provision. It depends on his promise. The presence of God is dependent on the promise of God, not his perceived provision for you. And I love what God does in react to Gideon's whinging because honestly, he does the same thing when I whinge to God as well. He's the same yesterday, today and forevermore. When I whinge to God about something, I'll say, why am I going through this? Where are you in this? Give me this and I can get it done. Sometimes God gives you a reason for your suffering. Sometimes God gives you a specific about why the pain you're going through, but often he doesn't. And if you read the book of Job, that's a whole nother sermon. If you read the book of Job, we see why that is the case. But often he doesn't let you know. What he does do is he paints a vision in front of you. He paints a picture of the future that produces a passion of what he can achieve in you and through you. And so instead of justifying himself before Gideon, he says, Gideon, you are going to be the deliverer of your nation. Because when God is with you, it doesn't matter the pain that you're facing. And often I've found this, that even when you're in pain, even when you're in a struggle, even when it hurts, God still asks more of you because often the way through your pain, often the way into your growth is to go with God. And so God's presence is promised. But I also like to see that, that what isn't promised to Gideon, God's God's presence is promised with you, that God is with you, like the, the creator of the universe with you, ready to help you and guide you like Pastor Joey prayed over us as well. He's the wonderful counsellor. That's a closeness of relationship. He's with you. Here's what's not promised though. Ease is not promised. Comfortability, not promised. Wealth, not promised. In our Western society, We'll have seasons where we have all this and wealth if we steward our stuff well, but that's not the indicator of a blessed life. And that's not the indication that God is with you. In fact, the Bible says pretty much the opposite. That here's how you know that someone follows Jesus. Persecution will follow them. <laughs> Pain's gonna be in their life. The way that they grow spiritually and materially is through discomfort. That's what's promised. But it's not all doom and gloom. When you follow with Jesus, it is the most satisfying life, the most joyful life that you can ever have because you have Him and He becomes your everything. And so I say this because Gideon went through some hard times. And when you walk with God, you will go through hard times. You will go through some real struggles. But there's been a verse that I've always stood on, which I love about this, which is 2 Corinthians 4, 7 to 10. It says this, now we have treasure in clay jars so that this extraordinary power may be from God and not from us. We are afflicted in every way, but we're not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. We always carry around the death of Jesus in our bodies. The life of Jesus may be displayed in our body as well. That we have this treasure in a clay jar. It says this, when God is with you, in this earthly vessel, we have a divine spark of the Holy Spirit. And no matter what you go through, no matter how deep the valley, no matter how hard the pressure, no matter how dark it seems, the whole world can come against you. But if God is with you, you will not break. 
It cannot break you. This is the promise of God that when you go with Him, it can seem like you've got nothing left to give, but where your strength stops, God fills the gap. His power and His grace fill the gap. And so it will not break. And for some people, I know in the hardest season that I've had in my life, there's been seasons where I've just got to pull back. I cannot continue to go forward. I cannot continue to go with God. But then you go through one bit and you realise that God is our sustainer. That it's not by our own strength, our own feelings, our own emotions, our own ability. It's God that sustains us. And when God is with you, His promise is that nothing in this world can break you. And so Gideon says this. He says, okay, let's do this. He gathers up his army of 32,000. We pick up the story in Judges chapter 7, verse 2 to 8. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand over the Midianites over to them or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, I've saved myself. Now announce to the troops, whoever is fearful, trembling, may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the troops turned back. 10,000 remained. Gideon's confidence starts to drop a little bit. 32,000, we can probably win this war. And then 22,000 are told to leave. He's got 10,000. 10,000 versus tens of thousands. He's like, look, the odds are stacked against us, but you know, maybe God will come through. Then the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many. Take them down in the water. I'll test them for you there. And God gives the strangest test sometimes. If I say to you, this one can go with you, he can go. But if I say to anyone, this one cannot go, he cannot go. So he brought the troops down to the water and the Lord said to Gideon, separate everyone who laps water with his tongue like a dog. Do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who lapped with their hands to their mouth was 300 and all the rest of the troops knelt to drink water. The Lord said to Gideon, I'll deliver you with the 300 men who lapped and the hand of the Midianites over to you. But everyone else is to go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tents, but kept 300 troops who took the provisions and their ram's horns. The first verse of this, verse two, is so crucial. God says this, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to you. That seems like counterintuitive. You have too many troops for me to give you the victory. Why? because Israel might elevate themselves over God and say that they saved themselves. See, if it's a battle that they can win in their own strength, then they go back into that part of the cycle where it's ease. Well, maybe we don't need God. We have delivered ourselves. And they come to a point where they're not leaning on God. They're not surrendered to God. They've got control over their own lives again. And God is saying, if you do that, if you take control of this again, you go into a place where you go into that cycle again where you don't need me and then you'll be captive again and then I have to send someone to rescue you because you don't always have the power to control, but you always have the power to surrender. And we see some of the most faithful people in history, like the disciples, a complete surrender of all they are. Take all that I have. I'm leaving my nets. I'm following you, a complete surrender. But right now, in, the, in terms of our spiritual growth, the way that we grow spiritually is to go from partial surrender to more surrender, more surrender, to a full surrender. Because so often in our faith, we can be like, God, I trust you with all that I am. And then He asks you to talk to your coworker about your faith. Like, oh, no, no, that might get weird at workplace. <laughs> so, or he might ask you if you're uh, in the church and you see someone, a young adult or a youth struggling, you're like, God, I worship with you, all my possessions are yours. Oh, you should 
buy that guy a car, he's struggling. Oh, that's, that's not good stewardship, I'll leave that for somebody else. And often in our lives, we think we have surrendered to God when really we're still in control and we tie a nice Christianese ribbon around what we're doing. But God asked for full surrender. That's what He's looking for from Israel. I'm cutting your army from 32,000 to 300, so you have no option but to lean on me. And I'm not gonna posture about how God always works, but I know this in my life, some of the biggest moves of God and the, the greatest things God has ever done when He's removed my security blankets, I've had to lean on Him and trust in Him instead of my own understanding. Because if I could have won the battle without God, then God won't get the glory. And you see this throughout the Bible, like with King David. If David took to the field and he killed another shepherd boy, then no one's probably gonna, no one's gonna care. But he killed a giant. If Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego survived a campfire, then King Nebuchadnezzar is not gonna bow down and worship their God, but they survived a furnace. It's gotta be big. The fact that God is, and I sense this for us as a church of the moment and for individuals as well, we need to start picking some fights that are worthy of the power of God again. Not just trying to fight things that we know that we can already conquer in our own strength, but can we start picking some fights, start conquering some things that require the power of God to work in our lives again. And I'm not asking you to take an insane radical risk, nor am I saying you should play it safe. The biblical model is simple this, be obedient to how you walk with God. For Gideon, it looks like taking an army against it, but what does it look like for you? What is your step of obedience? Maybe it looks like a radical risk. Maybe it looks like playing it safe, but we must be obedient. It inspires me, stories of, of, the, of big faith always inspire me, like Abraham who left his whole family. He left all that he'd known to start a new nation for God. That requires a a big faith or the disciples who are fishing one day because that's their livelihood and Jesus comes up and they leave their nets, they leave their livelihood, they leave their income, leave everything and, and follow Him. That inspires me. People like Mother Teresa in history where she struggled a lot with this inner emptiness and darkness, yet she set up so many clinics that helped millions of people with their physical health. It inspires me when people like Ben and Joel Cherry leave Brisbane, leave their family, and their community and go plant a church in New Zealand with no support relationally in that way. And same with Joel and Sav Ramsey, they leave their comfort and go and do something great and lead a church for God. It inspires me that over a hundred City Point members paid to go down to schoolies and serve and safeguard a generation. And my question for myself and for all of us today is are we still making audacious big moves of faith? Have you become so rational that you stop expecting the miraculous to occur in and around your life? Have you become too educated that if you can't understand it, then you won't be a part of it with God? Have, have you become too mature in your faith? You've been in the game too long that you don't excitedly share your faith with people anymore. That's just for the young people. That's for the young adults to do, right? Have we become dulled down? Because I think right now, and our society, even though we have this unbridled love, this unbridled power that comes from us being with God, that God is with us, that we can be rocked to sleep by the cultural lullabies of our time that suggest you should just fit in instead of using the power and the love that's within you to transform the world around you. 
Are you making audacious moves for God? Because you don't need to be a valiant warrior at the start. You don't need 32,000. You just need 300 in the presence of God. And God brings this amazing victory. In the end, it didn't matter if Gideon could fight or not. (laughs) They surround them. 300 men surround this camp. And by simply waving their fires and blowing their ram's horns, this army self-destructs and they kill each other. And God brings an incredible victory around their life. And then the two kings of Midianite, the Midianite kings, they flee. We pick up the story in Judges chapter 8, 4 to 9, where Gideon is pursuing them. Gideon and the 300 men came to the Jordan and they crossed it. They were exhausted, but still in pursuit. Never let exhaustion stop your pursuit of the things of God. Even if you're tired, even if you're wrecked, pursue God. He said to the men of Succoth, please give us some loaves of bread to the troops under my command because we're exhausted. For we are pursuing the kings of Midian. But the princes of Succoth asked, are these the kings now in your hand that we should give bread to your army? Gideon replied, very well. When the Lord has handed them over to me, I will tear your flesh with thorns and briars from the wilderness. He went from there to Penuel and asked the same thing from them. And the men answered just as the men of Succoth had answered. He also told them, when I return safely, I will tear down this tower. Seems like an overreaction. <laughs> but I want to highlight the change that happens when you walk with God. Do you remember Gideon's language at the start? I am the weakest. I am the youngest. I am just a farmer. I'm a nobody. I can't do this. And now he comes across people who are not for him. And look at his language. I'm going to tear you apart. I'm going to tear your city to the ground. They are no longer the words of a farmer. They're the words of a valiant warrior. That when we walk with God and we start to trust Him in the first step and we trust His promptings in the second step and we start to walk our lives with the revelation that He is truly with you, then you start to walk from glory to glory. You become who you are supposed to be in God. For Gideon, he became a valiant warrior. But who will you become when you realise that all the power of heaven wants to do something in you and through you. And it can be easy to say that if an angel came down, like, all right, I get it. Gideon had an angel. He came down where he was working. If an angel showed up to my workplace, I would obey. I would have faith then, I'm all in. But an angel didn't come to prove that to us. In fact, we got something far greater. That God didn't send an angel. God sent His Son to prove that. Jesus is with us. Emmanuel Christmas means that God is with us, that we were in a state where humanity and God could not connect. God wasn't with them. And so that's why He had to anoint a people and tell a certain person like Gideon or Samson or Deborah, I'm with you. And they did something miraculous. That's why they seem like these stories are so heroic because only individuals did it. But then Jesus came to earth and by living a perfect life and dying the death that we deserve to live because of the sin that we committed against God, He made a way. Jesus Christ is the truth. He's the life and He's the way. The way that you and I can connect with the Father again. That's the way that we know that God is with us. But Jesus isn't here anymore. No, Jesus has ascended to the Father's right hand to be your advocate. He's advocating for you in heaven to the Father. 
And He's left His Holy Spirit to reside in your heart to be the wonderful counsellor, your guide and your power to do what is needed. God is with us. And so it's not just individuals that are anointed by God for miraculous purpose, but every one of you, everyone online, in the room, whenever you're watching this, you are anointed for a miraculous purpose in God. And if God can use a farmer to deliver a nation, what can He do with you? What can He start in you? When you don't have the words to share your faith, you remember who is with you so you can show them. When you don't have the strength to forgive someone because your heart is too hurt, you remember who's with you that forgave you. When you're too scared to take a risk for God, you remember whose power makes up the gap between your own abilities and what He's called you to. In this Christmas season, we celebrate, and I pray you have the aha moment, a revelation of Emmanuel, that God is truly with us, that He's with you, that you're not alone. There's no moment of any day where you are alone, that God is with you. And as you start to walk in that revelation, the miraculous power of God starts to work through you and into the lives of others to start transforming the world around you into the one that God wants to see. Let me pray today as we close. God, I thank You that You're with us, that You're here. You're not absent, You're not distant. And if something in this Word has dropped into people's hearts, will You make it real? But even right now, God, if nothing has, if it's still just a concept or an idea, will You transition it from that into a reality? Will You show them Your glory? Will You show them Your love? You empower each and every one of us. Will You give us a deeper revelation that You are with us, God. Emmanuel, thank You, Jesus, for sending Your Son. And we can have a relationship with You. Well, all eyes are closed. I'd love to give the opportunity for anybody in this place who hasn't received Jesus Christ as their Lord, that this is how God is with you. This is how we know God is with us, that we decide to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Saviour of our life. That happens through surrender, surrendering of our own control, surrendering of our own lives and taking up His call and His yoke. And for some people in this room, maybe you've never made that decision before. You've never surrendered to God. You've never given your full life to God. Or maybe you have, but as I've been speaking, you realise it's only a partial surrender. There's parts of your life you still have control of. There's parts of your life where Jesus Christ isn't Lord. And today He wants to come back into your life with a simple prayer and be the Lord and Saviour of your life again. And so if that's you today on the count of three, I'd just love you to raise your hand so we can pray together that God can be with you today and forevermore. One, that is you. God knows everything you've done and He loves you still. He knows the best and the worst parts about you and He thinks you're awesome. He loves you and He thinks you're worthy. Two, you're here today in this room or you're engaging online right now in this moment. It's not a coincidence. The Holy Spirit's knocking on your heart and saying, I wanna be with you. I wanna come live in your heart. I wanna reconnect with you. So if that's you today and you need to make Jesus the Lord and Saviour of life, three right now, I'd love for you to raise your hand in this place. Thank you, thank you. Is there anybody else today? Jesus, let's pray. Jesus, I thank You for the hands that I saw go up. 
and even ones that I didn't see, but Lord, You saw hearts open up. You saw hearts surrender, the laying down of their life, that they can follow You, Jesus, with all they are. Right now, Lord God, I pray the reality of who You are encounters their heart. That people realise that Christianity is not a behaviour modification, but a true relationship where people can encounter You. That You are with us, You are with us. You are close. As Your Holy Spirit starts making a home in people's hearts today, Lord, I pray You fill them with a purpose, that You fill them with a confidence and expectation and excitement starts to surround their lives as they walk with the Saviour and the God of the universe in Jesus' Name. Amen and Amen. Great to see you. If you made that decision today, or maybe you get your hand up or maybe you made a decision online, there's, there's three things we'd love for you to do. One, keep coming to church. We'll see you here next week. We grow together as a church. We're on a journey together. Two, find your people. Find your life group. If you haven't found a life group, we have life groups that happen every week in people's homes, in the church, online, all these different ways that you can connect and find people to grow in your faith with. And three, start growth track. The next growth track will start in the new year. It's a four-step journey that shows you all about your faith, all about your spiritual gifts, who you are, and also who we are as a church as well. And so if you made that decision, make sure you do that. You can go to the lounge straight after the service, which is in the foyer. We'll get you a free Bible. Put our hands together again for those decisions that were made. Great decisions. God is with us. He is with you.